Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Laura Collins, Daily Mail, did you pay to spy on the Trump campaign? When are you going to comment on the spying allegations, Hillary? Did you pay for to have him spied on? Oh, that's just precious. Reporter catching Hillary Clinton entering a building? Did you pay to have Donald Trump spied on? It's... Oh! It's all I could ask for. Somebody to ask questions. Questions that matter. Because it... The question of whether or not it's legal was what William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, brought up. Maybe there was something done within the law there. But is there a question as to whether or not something happened involving spying? No. No, 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 no. This is what happened. This is what's happening. Not only did did we get this from the the filing from John Durham, the special counsel, looking into uh, the the origins of, of the Russian investigation. Not only do 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 we have uh, th- this investigation going on, but we have what clearly is one of the ugliest moments we can think of: spying on a citizen and spying on the president of the United States. And what is most stunning about this is that we still have people who are like, eh, whatevs, this this is not something that that you whatevs on. This is something that should make you sick. It should make you sick that spying took place. It's un-American. Why would you just simply sit back and be cool with it? You want to know what politics does to the soul? No, no, it's not politics. It's not politics. You know, uh, just just turning your, your politics into your religion does to the soul. The absence of religion. This is it. It just, it, it destroys you. It ruins you. You know, Christopher Hitchens talked about uh, religion makes good people do bad things. That was, that was his argument. He wrote, God is not great. And it's, it's, it's a... It's a fascinating concept. I've always said of, of of Hitch, I don't know if he's right, but he ain't wrong. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, rumble.com slash Tony Katz. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Let me ask the question. If Hillary was spying on, on Trump, if you're one of the people who's okay with it, can you explain to me why? I want to hear the leftist argument. The the non Tony argument. What what is what is the argument that the spying would have been okay? I understand that we need uh, you know we need more here, right? We need more uh, information. We we need more information from Durham. We need an investigation. You need to get more uh, out, out of this. You want to know more to the story? Just conceptually, since we see so many media not reporting on this story. You okay if Hillary Clinton or the Democratic Party was spying on the sitting president of the United States? Are, are you? If that's acceptable to you, I want to understand how you get there. I want to. I want to see how this goes. Eight three three four six eight eight six six nine. I really do have a. There's a crap ton of story today. It's nuts. 
and there's conversations like this that are that are absolutely uh, making making the show. But if we're talking about kids in school yeah. and they don't have and look, I've tried to get I have little kids. I've tried to get high quality masks for them. It's tough. They come. They don't fit. They fit one. They don't fit the other. Does it make sense to reconsider it while you don't have those high quality masks available for younger kids or, or why not? Mm-hmm. I think what CDC has said is that is that you should be wearing a mask that's the best mask possible. So we know cloth masks are better than no masks. Surgical masks are better than cloth masks. So whatever mask is available and fits well for kids should be used. We've got school districts all across America getting rid of masks. And here is the White House and their people saying, keep wearing a mask. This was not just a guy. This is Dr. Tom Inglesby. I had never heard of Tom, Dr. Tom Inglesby. Maybe I have before. Maybe I've used his name before. It's just not a top of mind name. He's a director at John Hopkins Center for Health Security. Oh, that's a small job. Still pushing this idea of masks. Look what people's politics have done to them. Look at how it absolutely rips people apart and tears apart their soul. I'm going to get into that uh, as well. But let's take a look at Ukraine. And are we going to see a war? The answer is not yet. Not yet we don't see a war. But have we seen Russians coming off of the border? The answer is no. We haven't seen that. What we have seen is the Russians saying that. There's a difference between the Russians saying it and it actually happening. There's a difference between the Russians making the claim that we're pulling uh, troops off the border and then actually seeing it happen. Because we haven't seen it happen. As someone commented to me yesterday as I'm reaching out to people, what's the latest, what do you know, what do you think? Um... As they said to me in a very, very uh, uh, text that I can't share fully uh, because of the language, you know we've got satellites. We could see this blank. <laughs> if, it, if they were withdrawing troops, we'd see it right there, but we don't see it. We don't see it at all. But they keep talking about it. They keep talking about the fact that, that, that they're, they're pulling troops. This is happening again and again. They said it today. They were returning more troops and weapons to bases. As News Nation now puts it, a gesture uh, to ease fears that it's planning to invade Ukraine. But saying it and seeing it are two different things. This brings us to Biden's speech yesterday. And I will tell you that I thought Biden's speech yesterday was very, very strange. Very, very strange. Now, let me let me set the scene for you. Uh, Biden is scheduled to speak yesterday, like 3.30, something like that. And in one of the rarest things we've seen about him, he showed up on time, which he never, ever, ever does. If I say to producer Ari, hey, Biden's going to speak at 2 o'clock, he's like, okay, 3.30, got it. And because he's never on time. He's on time in this one. And he proceeded to deliver an 11-minute address that needs to be looked at in a couple of, uh, through a couple of lenses. First, the address is very much a deterrence-focused address. 
He wants Vladimir Putin to know that if you do this, we're going to do that. There's going to be sanctions here, and we're going to put troops there, and we're going to provide assistance here, we're going to provide training there, we're going to provide intel here, and we're not going to put up with this, and we're going to work with our partners. It was, in many ways, a classic deterrent speech. Put your politics or your thoughts about Biden just to the side. Just let's, let's deal with what got said. That was its purpose. That is part of what happened here, a classic deterrent speech. But the question before us, it's, it's like uh, Malcolm Gladwell's blink. The, the concept that sometimes your gut, your, your, something inside you knows something's wrong, but you're not quite sure what it is. What's wrong here is that it happened yesterday, not a month ago. A month ago, as there was more and more buildup, that would have been the time for the deterrent speech. Yesterday, we were already hearing that, oh, no, no, he's going to withdraw some troops. Oh, no, no, that's when the invasion's supposed to happen. Well, we don't have any proof of this. You're right there at the moment, and this is when you give the speech. It's a weird move. Something about it strikes me. Maybe maybe you're different. But it struck me as this was, this wasn't deterrence. This was desperation. This was also an idea of placing himself politically with the American people. It's that that gets us to the part two and something I want to share. This was part of what Joe Biden said yesterday. Listen. We know and what we're doing about it. Let me be equally clear about what we are not doing. The United States and NATO are not a threat to Russia. Ukraine is not threatening Russia. Neither the U.S. nor NATO have missiles in Ukraine. We do not, do not have plans to put them there as well. We're not targeting the people of Russia. We do not seek to destabilize Russia. To the citizens of Russia, you are not our enemy. And I do not believe you want a bloody, destructive war against Ukraine a country and a people with whom you share such deep ties of family, history, and culture. 77 years ago, our people fought and sacrificed side by side to end the worst war in history. World War II was a war of necessity. But if Russia attacks Ukraine, it would be a war of choice. I gotta, I gotta tell you, that struck me as nothing Biden would say. It struck me as State Department language. I have no proof of this. It's not like I've seen the State Department wanted this put in there. But when in this whole conversation, ask yourself, you're sitting on the bar stool, you're, 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 you're hanging out uh, today at the kitchen table, you're talking with coworkers, ask yourself, ask them. In this entire conversation about Russia and Ukraine, Did anybody think that the Russian people were worried we were going to go to war with them? Did anybody even consider the idea of going to war with Russia? Where is this coming from? Just, it, it, it goes to the idea that the speech had a focus that, well, isn't focused. What, what is this supposed to be about? If it's about letting Russia know that if they do invade, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, well, then why in the world are we having a conversation about, hey, Russian people, we're not coming after you? 
that see it it, it 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 was odd it was off base it was it it didn't it didn't make sense and the other part that didn't make sense the part that is most disturbing of the speech yesterday is the way it got presented we've often discussed the fact that joe biden likes to get angry he he loves to get angry. He loves to play the part of the tough guy. He loves it. He, he adores it. It's, it's who he is. They've actually uh, replaced uh, Hail to the Chief, and they replaced it with this. This is how he walks into a room. Anybody see Corn Pop? I'll kick his ass. Woo! You know you love me by the pool, ladies. Check out the hair on my legs. You dog-faced pony soldier. Let me tell those Ukrainians you better fire that prosecutor or you ain't getting a billion dollars, son of a bitch. Look at me! That's him. That's him. By the way, I was actually strutting in studio while I did that. That's who he is. And we have noticed in a, in a, in a couple of, of, of speeches, in a, in a couple of conversations that, that he has had, he shows this anger. And you can argue that anger is sometimes good and valuable and important. But when he does it, it comes across much differently. He doesn't come across as angry. He comes across as insecure. He comes across as nervous. And that's what I believe he did in this address. He did not come across as somebody exuding the strength and confidence and sure morality of the United States of America. He came across as somebody saying, look, you, you, you better listen to me. Like, like a man who isn't able to make decisions for his own life. It, 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 like, like every uh, drama you've ever seen where you realize that dad finally has to go into the home, like, like that. He did not come across with the strength of an American president engaged in a moral character conversation. No, Paul, oh, 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 before you bring up Trump's name, put that over to the side. We're talking about what happened here. Don't you give me your nonsense comparison garbage. I'm not interested. I'm dissecting what happened here. You want to tell me my dissection is wrong? 833-GOT-TONY. Let's go to work. But he comes across like a, like he comes across as a man who this is so personal to him, so emotional to him that his his words are very thin. They don't carry the strength of the nation. They don't carry the idea that the world is watching. They only carry the idea that he can turn to whomever he turns to and says, did I do good? Did I do good? Yeah, I did. I showed him. I showed him. It was like if, if, if you were to start a fight with somebody and they were to punch you in the face and then walk away and then you stood up and said, yeah, you better not come back. That's how it came across. It could have been the right speech a month ago if he had been more reserved. 
it had this wording in it that I can only figure with State Department wording that I didn't understand whether he was talking to the Russian people or to America that, hey, we're not going to war. He even said in the conversation, we're not sending troops in. Well, how is it a deterrence if you're not sending troops in? We're not going to send troops into Ukraine. We're going to provide assistance. But the whole thing had that veneer of his of his anger, and his anger is this very, very thin, not not thought out anger that shows that it's about his personal emotional state and not about the 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 necessity of a free world having a leader. It was a weird, weird talk that I don't think did any good. Of course, he's now going to be able to use it however things happen, right? See, it's because I said this, because I did this. I'm the guy. He's going to paint it that way, of course. But man, I was not down for that talk. It was it was a month too late and poorly delivered. I'm Tony Katz. I don't know why teachers go on TikTok and make these videos where they're basically mocking parents, attacking parents. We got a whole thing to get to on that. This was this was a teacher as uh, put out there by libs of TikTok because it exposes what they're saying and it, well, listen. So I see how you think that you've done something here because parents or community members have voiced concern to their elected official, which is how that process works. Um, not, not bringing it to a teacher, right? They're taking it to the elected official. Um, and now that uh, legislators are, are trying to implement these things. Um, but still, in fact, a parent, not my boss. I don't, I don't actually answer to them, so get just, that. Just in case you were wondering what teachers think and I have to be clear, it's certainly not all teachers. Not, and they don't answer to, to parents. You don't answer to parents? You don't answer to taxpayers? Of course you, of course you do. And you know where they learned this? San Francisco, where three progressive school board members just got voted out. Over 75% of the vote, each one, voting them out because they didn't listen. You're not special, teachers. I think most teachers know this, but there are enough teachers radical out there. Oh, my goodness. Radical. I don't know who this teacher is. I'm not sure where she teaches, but that's not somebody I want teaching my kids. Keep it here. So why did Remington settle? That's the question that I got asked yesterday. I was had myself a little bit of a relaxing time in the afternoon. There was a cigar. There was a steak. There was why the hell did Remington settle? We're talking about the firearms manufacturer and a settlement involving the shooting that took place in 2012. Sandy Hook Elementary School. A 73 million dollar settlement and the question is why and what does this mean for law-abiding gun owners what does this mean for well the future of people who utilize 
and and respect firearms. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Cam Edwards joins us right now. He is uh, the man who runs BearingArms.com, B-E-A-R-I-N-G, BearingArms.com. He's also the host of Cam & Company. He's also filled in on this very radio show. And it, it, it is the top story, although I, do, although I do have a couple other stories I want to get to. I want you to break down what the case was. What were these families suing Remington for, and what is this settlement? Sure. Um, first of all, thanks for the invite. So these families' argument was, was basically that Remington's marketing materials uh, directly inspired the killer in Sandy Hook to not only carry out his attack, but to use an AR-15, to use uh, the type of gun that he used in that attack. Um, and, you know, Tony, we've got this federal law called the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act that is supposed to prevent junk lawsuits from being filed seeking to hold gun makers accountable for the actions of criminals. Now, that should have put a stop to this particular lawsuit. Uh, and we can feel horrible. Uh, you know, about what happened uh, at Sandy Hook Elementary, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the gun manufacturer is to blame here as opposed to the actual person who pulled the trigger. But the Connecticut State Supreme Court in a 4-3 decision ruled that the state's Unfair Trade Practices Act allowed these parents to use this one argument that the marketing materials uh, uh, from Remington inspired this attack and caused uh, the attacker to use an AR-15. Um, now, what's interesting here is that Remington itself did not actually settle this lawsuit. Remington Outdoor Company doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the Remington brand has been sold to a company called Vista Outdoors. They're, they're making Remington-branded ammunition. But it was actually the insurers of the former Remington Outdoor Company that decided to settle this case. And the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which is the firearms industry trade group, released a statement yesterday saying that they disagreed with that decision, that they believed that uh, the insurers would have prevailed had this case gone to trial, that they would not have been able to, uh, plaintiffs would not have been able to prove that, in fact, uh, uh, the killer here uh, was motivated by uh, advertising on the part of Remington. Uh, but I think that these insurers, you know, look, I, I think that they had a very different calculation than what a firearms uh, company would have when it comes to settling this case. Uh, so, you know, look, Remington did not admit any liability. I saw that reported yesterday. That's wrong. Um, you know, this was a, a case of insurers deciding to settle this case, uh, and they probably thought that they could save a couple of bucks in doing so. Um, but I think it does leave the door open for a lot more of these challenges in the future. So first, it's, it's an important point uh, to, to, to make, right, that we're not talking about Remington, uh, the company, because the company isn't there. The brand still does exist, owned by somebody else. We're talking about the insurance companies. But that's a conversation that you are, are rightfully saying is going to get absolutely lost in uh, not to utilize a pun or be in, in bad taste. It's going to be lost in the crossfire. It's going to be lost in, in the muck, in the mire. It's in the deep weeds. The story here is, aha, we've proven we can sue those gun manufacturers. Let's go get them. What is the concern of gun manufacturers now after this case? And is there going to be an appeal? Well, there's nothing to appeal. It's a settle. There's nothing to appeal. What is the concern of manufacturers to this case? Yeah, I think the yeah, – and you're right. There is not going to be an appeal. But I think the concern of manufacturers is that the, the U.S. Supreme Court had a chance to, to step in here uh, back in 2020 
Uh, and they could have overruled that Connecticut Supreme Court decision. They didn't do that. And so I, I think the concern on the part of firearms manufacturers is that the Supreme Court is going to continue to allow this, you know, quote unquote loophole uh, in the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act to, to be used to go after uh, gun makers and to try to sue them into oblivion. Um, and, you know, we, we've seen, Tony, you know, the, the Texas anti-abortion law, we've seen that Governor Gavin Newsom say, well, we want something like that, but for guns in California. Uh, the state of New York last year passed a law that allows individual citizens and the attorney general to sue gun makers under that state's public nuisance law. Uh, so if you are the victim of a crime, you could sue, you know, the maker. Let, let's say you got robbed by somebody who was carrying a stolen Glock. Well, under this New York law, you could sue Glock for creating a public nuisance for making that firearm and for, you know, advertising it for sale in the state of New York. Th these are crazy uh, uh, legal arguments, but they can be made. They can be used. And unfortunately, you know, that means that these companies are going to have to spend a lot of time and money defending themselves against these junk lawsuits. And if the gun control lobby, look, if they can't win a big verdict like this one yesterday, they'll go with a death by a thousand cut strategy, right? And they'll just launch wave after wave after wave of lawsuits and force gun companies to defend against all of them and bankrupt them that way. Talking to Cam Edwards, the editor at BearingArms.com, B-E-A-R-I-N-G, BearingArms.com. It, it, it's a frightening scenario. It's a frightening uh, thing uh, to to witness here because it's it's very clear. I think your 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 point is well taken. When they see an opening, because the the desire is not about a better, safer society. The desire is to end your ability to keep and bear arms. I don't think they even shy away from that. Now that is is their focus. Well, it absolutely is. Uh, Connecticut's governor Ned Lamont actually a couple of weeks ago in his uh, state of the state address actually complained about too many legal guns out there. Uh, and he said, you can't be tough on crime if you're weak on guns, including legal uh, uh, guns, right? So we are seeing Democrats, I think, become more comfortable uh, being open about what their real intentions are. You know, you still find some of them who say, uh, like Beto O'Rourke, for instance, uh, I don't want to take anybody's guns away from anybody. And that's what he's saying now. And I'm here to defend the Second Amendment. You still see some of those Democrat politicians. I support the Second Amendment, but... But I think you're also seeing more politicians, particularly in these safe blue states, who are willing to say the quiet part out loud, that they're not interested in going after violent criminals. They're interested in going after the guns that are owned by millions of Americans for self-defense, for hunting, for recreation, for any variety of lawful purposes. They, they, they view those guns as just as much of a problem uh, as the gun in the hands of an armed robber or a carjacker. Let's move the, the, the subject uh, a bit and let's head over to what's happening with Alec Baldwin, the family of Helena Hutchins suing for wrongful death. You've got the story there at BearingArms.com. It took a few months for this lawsuit to happen and I, I figured it was because they were getting their, their ducks in, in, in a row. Um, do we know why it took so long and is the argument that Alec Baldwin uh, acted uh, in a negligent fashion, or are they utilizing the Alec Baldwin theory, and it's really the fault of the prop master and the first assistant director? Uh, all right, so two questions. Uh, we'll, we'll go with the first one. Uh, I think one of the reasons why it took so long is because, I don't know if you saw this, Tony, but they, the plaintiff's attorneys had this, like, computer animation showing what, you know, their version of what happened yesterday. So it might have just taken time for the computer animators to uh, to get that. I, I did together. see it. It's, it's, 
it's I don't know if it's good or bad or, or what I'm supposed to take. <laughs> it's weird. It. It's, like, it, it's, yeah. it's 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 very much like um the 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 money for nothing video uh mm-hmm. you know Dire Straits back in the day. It's very odd, but it shows Alec Baldwin sitting there and and the, this cartoon version, if you will, and then the shooting and then how it hit Helena Hutchins. Uh, but is is that supposed? To, did that move people? I I don't think so. I mean, I, I it certainly didn't move me. It made me scratch my head, but. Uh... You know, their basic theory, so they're suing Alec Baldwin, quote, and others. So it's not just Alec Baldwin. Yeah, they're basically alleging a pattern of unsafe practices on the set of uh, the movie Rust, including, I thought this was interesting, there's apparently an exchange of text messages between a camera operator and one of the unit uh, producers, one of the unit supervisors. And the camera operator, this was five days before Helena Hutchins was shot and killed. He said he was really concerned about the safety on the set that there had been three accidental discharges at that point, one, the first week of shooting and then two that week of shooting. So, you know, it wasn't now, uh, if if what he was saying is true, this wasn't just, you know, a random incident. This was actually the fourth time that a gun had discharged on that set. And so, yes, the family of Lena Hutchins says that Alec Baldwin uh, failed to do his due diligence in ensuring that the gun was unloaded, but they're also blaming the prop master. Uh, they're blaming the armorer. Uh, so, and I think there is more than enough blame to go around here. Uh, you know, there were multiple people who were handling that firearm, and it seemed like all of them ignored the fundamental rule of gun safety, which is treat every gun as if it's loaded until you personally prove otherwise. So this now goes uh, to court. Is this happening in New Mexico, or is this happening in California? You know, that is a really good question. I'm not sure where the lawsuit was filed, and it's hard to keep track, honestly, because we've got multiple lawsuits going on. Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who is the armorer, she's suing uh, not Alec Baldwin, but she's suing the ammo supplier, uh, accusing them of of being the ones that, uh, you know, put these dummy rounds uh, uh, into the box of ammunition uh, or the live uh, ammunition into the box of dummy rounds. So, uh, you know, I I think that no matter where this is filed, this is going to go on for a long time. There are going to be countersuits. Uh, and most importantly, the criminal investigation being conducted by the Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office in New Mexico, that still continues. And, and I would say that there is still very much the possibility uh, of one or more individuals associated with that production facing criminal charges at some point. This brings us to the story that you want to talk about a story media is running away from as fast as they can. This gun control activist in Louisville. This black man who shot uh, a mayoral candidate by the name of Greenberg, white and I also believe Jewish, shot him, but he's known as a gun control activist. He's appeared on Joy Reid's show as a gun control activist. There may be a, a, a certainly a mental issue at play as he had been disappeared. He disappeared for a while and then, then came back uh, to his family. But if this was, I mean, this is a great example of narrative over what what in the world or, or what we should be discussing because if this was a white man who shot a black politician it would be talked about as hate crime 24/7365 oh absolutely um and I, you know it, it's funny you mentioned that uh because i, I noticed in the very first initial reporting uh after the candidate was shot at you know clearly there were eyewitnesses to, to this uh incident and yet nobody was describing the suspect uh, and I thought, well, that's kind of odd. Why, why do they have a suspect description out? And I, I, I can't help but think that maybe that was part of it. They didn't want to, the, the media and maybe even the police, maybe even the candidate himself, 
did not want to introduce this element of, okay, this was a black guy shooting at a white guy shooting at a Jewish politician. Uh, and, and so I think that that aspect was very much downplayed, which you're right. It would have been very much played up uh, had the uh, races, uh, you know, featured a, a white shooter and, let's say, a black politician. Um, I think that there probably is uh, something going on with this individual's mental state. But, and, I, and, and this is going to sound facetious, Tony, but I'm serious. I just don't know how easy it is to tell when somebody goes off the deep end in terms of embracing their leftist politics and when that actually crosses the line over into, okay, now, now we're really worried about what you might do uh, in your mental state. Because if you go back and you read this guy's columns over the past couple of years, he was saying some pretty crazy stuff. He was saying some stuff that I would consider really far out there, like even you know, beyond AOC-style politics. And yet nobody with the Louisville Courier Journal apparently found anything wrong with it. Everything was fine with you know, everything this guy was saying uh, pretty much up until the point that he took off for two weeks. Uh, his family asked for you know, privacy. But even then, he came back. He announced that he was running for the city council. That's the other thing. He's a city council candidate in Louisville, Kentucky right now. And nobody really wanted to say anything about what this guy's views were, what his ideology was, and how, uh, you know, uh, again, how out there what he was saying really was until all of a sudden he pulls a gun on this mayoral candidate. It is, it is the story. They are de- desperate, desperate, desperate uh, not uh, to, to talk about. Uh, I, 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 the Remington story, because I, I wanted to hit all three, you know, when I, when I have the chance mm-hmm. to talk to you, I want the chance to talk to you, talking to Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com. Uh, that, that story is just the... Uh, is, is just the big one and people understanding it. But you brought up Beto O'Rourke and all of a sudden the guy who said, I'm coming for your AR-15s is now yeah. running for governor in Texas. And it's like, oh, oh, AR-15s. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I love those. I, I bought a pair for my kids. <laughs> like, he, I, he, know, he doesn't know what it is, but he knows that it's bad or not. He, it's not, but he thinks it's bad. And now all of a sudden he's not in the taking business. This is, this is just, this is sad. It is that. And, you know, again, you talk about the media running away from a story. I mean, like, I, I can't remember the last time you had such a blatant flip-flop from, hell yes, we're coming for your guns, to I don't want to take anything from anybody. And, yeah, the, 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 the coverage that I saw in the state of Texas, Tony, was uh, bid or work appears to have shifted his position when it comes to AR-15. <laughs> no! No! Call it for what he is. He's lying. He's lying to people. He is saying whatever he thinks it needs to be said in order for him to have a fighting chance against Greg Abbott, which, by the way, he has no chance against Greg Abbott. That's the sad thing, Tony, is that, yeah, I, I listen, I would never vote for Beto O'Rourke if I lived in Texas. There's no way that I'd vote for him. But I'd at least respect him a little bit more if he were honest and said, yeah, you know what? I do still want to come after your guns. I realize I can't, but I still want to. At least I'd say, okay, you're honest with me, right? But now you're a liar that I don't trust that I don't like and that I'd never vote for. But I do think it does demonstrate the, the, the problems that Democrats are facing right now uh, in this current political environment. You know, I think a lot of folks on the left say, look, crime is rising. This should be a great time for gun control. No, not, not so much. This is actually a really good time for Americans to embrace the right to keep and bear arms. Right. We're concerned about our personal safety. And we don't trust the Democrats to keep us safe. We don't trust the Democrats to be tough on crime, to go after carjackers, to go after armed robbers. So, you know, I, I realize that Beto, he might think this is the, the smart political move for him, but uh, I just think it's a joke. 
Well, trust me, he, he's on fourth time as the charm to also lose. Cam Edwards uh, there from BearingArms.com. I appreciate you taking the time. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Jen Psaki is going to speak, White House Press Secretary. Well, are we at war? Are we not? Uh, anybody listen to Joe Biden's speech and felt like, oh, finally, America's back. Meanwhile, resignations at CNN are plenty, and we're not done yet. You want to know how crazy the used car market is? Oh, my gosh. This story will knock you out. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Twitter, Instagram, get her at Tony Katz. And find everything at TonyKatz.com. More coming up. Keep it right here.